All right, all right. Let's get this party started. Or I guess let's keep it rolling, huh? Good stuff, man. Worship team, phenomenal job. Love it. Love it. Isn't it good? All right, today we're going to cover uh, Revelation. We're going to finish up chapter 1, I think. Uh, Revelation chapter 1, verses 17 through 20. And uh, we're going to see what happens when uh, John, who is writing uh, the book of Revelation, see what happens when he gets this vision of Jesus Christ. And <clears throat> if you were here last week, I'll go ahead and apologize. I've got some sinus uh, pollen stuff going on or something. I may cough a little bit during the service, but... Uh, if you were here last week, we went through Revelation 1, 12 through 19, and we saw this, vi- I'm, I'm sorry, 12 through 16, and we saw this vision that the Lord had given John uh, about Jesus Christ, and we saw all of these different ways that we understand this vision. Thanks, brother. We understand this vision and the implications that it had for John, and those implications, we said, come out of an understanding of the Old Testament that we need to realize in order to be able to understand just exactly the message that is being conveyed to John and from John to us. You see, oftentimes we read the scriptures and we think that those scriptures end and begin, that we actually think that they begin and end on us. And we think that those scriptures are written, written just for us. Now, have you ever heard the phrase, well, the Bible is a roadmap to life? Anybody ever heard that phrase? Is that true in some ways? It can teach you how to live. It's got lots of good principles. It's got lots of good rules that have followed that you'll do fairly well in life. And it's got lots of things in there that uh, teach us about reality. And it teaches us about the nature of people and the nature of the world in general. And it's got a lot of good stuff in there. So if we look at it one way as that the Bible is a roadmap to life, that if if obeyed to the best of our abilities, then we'll have a fairly good and and productive and successful life, then yeah, I guess the Bible could be said or called uh, a roadmap to life. But you see, in, in saying that, it seems to me that we automatically are assuming that the scriptures were written just for you, that you would know what to do so that your life would be better, so that your life would be on track. Now, the Bible does contain all of those things that we need in order for our lives to be exactly what they should be. But is that from the perspective that we have down here? You see, the Scriptures is not primarily about you. The Scriptures are not primarily about me. And the problem is is that when we make them primarily about me and about you, we actually do disservice to ourselves. Because it's just like your children. I have people all the time, they tell me, they say, Brandon, because I say this, I say, you need to love God more than your children. Did that just jab at anybody? Because here's the deal, I tell them, they'll, they'll come to me and say, Brandon, that's just a hard teaching. That's just a hard teaching. You mean to tell me that I'm supposed to love anything more than my own children? Well, listen, you're supposed to love your husband and your wife more than your own children. I don't put them not one, not two, but three.
You say, you, you telling me that my children are not supposed to be first? No. And not even second. For those of you who are married. Well, I just know that's just a hard, pre- that's a hard teaching, preacher. That's just a hard, I can't accept that. I can't, my children got to come first. My children got to come first. Well, let me tell you a little secret. Let me tell you a secret. If you make your kids first, they won't be first. If you make your kids first, they won't be first. The reason being is, is that you undercut the foundation of the very love you say that you have for them. Did that make sense? The love that you say that you have for them is undercut and dismissed because you have put them in front of the thing that causes you and enables you to love them like you should. And when you put your children first, I'm going somewhere with this. We're going to get back here in just a second. When you put your your children first, you set them up for failure and a horrible experience here in life. You say, how does that work? I just want the best for my kids. I want to give them everything that they want and everything that they need. And I'll never have a need. Never have a struggle. I don't ever want them to sweat. Y'all laughing, but I'm talking about y'all. <laughs> what happens is, see... I get into it because I love my kids, you know. I don't want to see anything bad in them. I don't want to see anything that needs correction, you know. I think my kids are the best-looking kids in here, and some of y'all want to fight me just because I said that. <laughs> but you see, what happens is, is that when we put our kids first and we, we, we succumb to their every whim, and we make all of life about them, and, and when they whine, they say, mine, you say, yes, sir. And we give it to him. You, you don't think you're saying that because you don't use your words, but you do. He's like, he's, you know, little Johnny's crying because he ain't got the toy. And daddy's like, just shut him up. Where's the toy? Give him the toy right now. Give me the toy here. And Johnny's like, that's right. And he does. He walks like this right here. Give me that. You thought that toy was yours? No, it's mine. Mine. And when we, when, we, when, we, when we give in to that and when we encourage that, what we are saying to little Johnny is that, little Johnny, did you know that you are God? And he grows up with this God complex. And the more he grows and the more he gets and the more he's, he, he, he's, he's pampered and the more he's, he, he's, not, he's not disciplined, he's not made to work, he's not made to earn, he's not made to buy his own stuff even though he's got money. You know who I'm talking to. He's got to learn that you have got to understand that this is not about you. And when you understand, amen, that's what we got to learn. <coughs> but that's only, the, that's only the starting place. You see, when we understand that this is not about us, then we can ask the question. Then we even have the language to Ask the question, well, then who is it about? And there's when mommy and daddy can say, it's about God, son. It's about Christ, little girl. It's about something bigger than you. 
And I don't, this is not a sermon about children, or I would go and show you in the scriptures why that you should not put your children in front of your husband or wife either. You tear them down the same way. And you do not give them the tools necessary to live with their husband or their wife one day the way that God intended for them to live. That's another sermon for another day. So why did I go down that road? The reason I went down that road is that when we come to the scriptures and we assume. See, we've got this mentality because it's been getting this way for years and years and years, right? You know, when I was young, uh, man, if I got in trouble, my mama, she was, is, mama, you in here? There she is right there. I'll be careful what I say. I just got to figure out if she was in here or not. No, I'm just kidding. My mama, she was a little bit easier on me than my dad. Now, she would try to get me in trouble, you know. She would, she's, I remember the last time she spanked me. I really do. I was like 15 years old. Was it, wasn't I, mama? Wasn't I? And I was in the, I was in the front, I remember, I, I have a terrible memory. But I was in my little bathroom in our trailer, and I'm, look, I'm looking in the mirror, and I'm getting ready for school. Wasn't it before school? It was before school. Now I'm getting ready for school, you know, I'm trying to make sure I look good. And I did something. I, maybe I drank the last of the milk because she would turn demonic if you drank the last of the milk because she needed milk for her coffee. Like drool. <laughs> nah, shit. Well, about the drool, it was like this. But. So I'm in front of the mirror and I've done something. I can't remember what I did. And mama, she comes in the bathroom and she's right there. I see her like it was yesterday. And she's yelling about something. And I did this. I was like, <laughs> My mama, and if she walked up here right now, she you know she's like this tall. And I, I hadn't grown that much. Actually, I've lost a little weight since high school. No, I did gain some. I just lied. Sorry. <laughs> but I'm here. I'm in front of I go, <laughs> like that. My mama, my little mama, with her hand, starts going, boom, 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 boom. I made the second mistake. Huh. <laughs> 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 On the phone with daddy. Now I remember the last wolf my daddy gave me. <laughs> kind of the same situation. I wore baggy pants, you know, because I thought I was a wannabe thug in high school. And one, one day, I think it might have been about this, part of, partly, I went to visit my dad. And uh, I, I, he's mad at me and... He goes out and he gets this hickory. Now, on the poor east side of the family, my mom was the McClure side. On the poor east side of the family, they got sticks and hit you with them. <laughs> so my grandma, Ruth Ellen, Jonathan knows all about what I'm talking about. She would make you go pick the switch. And you pick the wrong one, she's going to go get one that was just right. So my daddy, he goes, gets a hickory, and it's a little small. But he comes in the house, and he's, he's whipping me. I made the same mistake you'd think I'd learn. But when he hit me one time, my baggy pants, I couldn't feel nothing. He hit me, and the switch broke, and he held it up, and it was flopped over. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> and my, my daddy is a little bit different than my mama. He's like, you're going to laugh at me, huh? You're going to laugh at me? So he grabs me by my arm. He leads me down to the woods, and he gets this stick, like this big stick, like that big around, and he's trying to break it off, right? And he's like, you just wait right there. <laughs> he finally breaks it off, and I'm, I'm thinking he ain't really going to hit me with that. He grabs my arm, he brings that thing back, he goes, and you know, on baggy pants, I don't know if you ever heard this, it's like, Pah! you know, that noise that it makes, you know, and I was like, ah, you know, so it was for real, it was real. 
We need to feel the power that is bigger than us so that we can understand that we are not God. When I tell you to discipline your kids, when I show you that the scriptures tell you to discipline your kids, it's not because I just like hurting little people. It's to teach them something, and that is, is that there are rights, there are wrongs, and that there are things and people in this world that are greater and more important than you and your whim right now. Because every sin where we take from somebody, when you steal something, when you grab something away, you are saying that I am greater than you. My needs are more important than yours, and I will watch you hurt to get what's mine. Did I not just describe America the Great? Amen? This is where we live. How many billions of babies have been murdered because it would, it would put a hitch in my lifestyle? You say, what about the, what about the ones who are raped? Minuscule, bitty, bitty part. Not even, not even a 1%. I'm young. I'm 18. I'm 20. I don't need this in my life right now. I am greater than this life. All of that is an introduction to this to say that when we read the Scripture as men and women of God, <clears throat> as we come to the Holy Book, as we come to the sacred writings, we need to understand that while they pertain things about mankind, while they pertain things about us, it is not about us. It is about Christ. And when we come into that view, it, it, it does something to us. It, it doesn't make us feel great. It doesn't make us feel exceptional. It doesn't make us feel wonderful. It makes us feel like nothing. You say, hold on, I thought this was a good place to be. Let me show you why that's a good thing. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. So now that I make you feel terrible about yourself, let's read God's word. I'm going to start back in verse 12 to give you a little context for the message at hand. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And at his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Now in America, we would say, yep, that's all for me. All about me. Because that's the context in which we've been raised. But listen to John's reaction. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. He is doing nothing more than what Jeremiah did or 
uh, Daniel did or, or several others in the text who had saw the Lord. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But, but, he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Right therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. You may be seated. <clears throat> now, why did I start out this whole sermon uh, making this this theological run to, to prepare you and to uh, try to show you that the Scriptures are not about you, that the Scriptures do not primarily revolve around you and what you should do, but around Christ who is King. And that is, is that if we come to the book, if we come to the Word and we make it all about us, and we put ourselves at the center of it, and we think that it is all about how we get glory, then we twist and we do not come to the king like we should. We do not respond to those around us like we should. But we have this haughty idea that I deserve salvation and that Christ should have died for me, and it makes it minuscule. Salvation, yeah, that was my right. So we flippantly handle these things. We flippantly handle our sin. We don't see our sin like God does because we think, well, 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 well God already saw that and it's not a big deal. He dealt with that. It was all about me and he's going to make sure. No. The scriptures is about the glory of God and the vindication of his righteousness. The only reason that salvation is offered to you is because he's loving and he's merciful. And he offered you that which you do not deserve. You should be sent to hell. You should cry for all of eternity pleading for a drop of water on your tongue. That's not preached anymore. But you see, if we do not, if we do not understand the glory of God and the glory of Christ in all of its majesty, then we cannot even be ready or begin to receive salvation or the gospel. A man must be broken to see his need to be fixed. A man must see his wickedness in order to fall at the foot of Christ and say, Master. Savior, had mercy on me, a sinner. Baby walked in at just the right time. <laughs> John says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Now, if we got the right man, and this is the beloved disciple who has been exiled to the Isle of Patmos, and, and he's been persecuted, he's been, he's been uh, uh, beaten, he's been, he's been hammered out for Christ, he's been rejected, he's been humiliated. We've got the right one, but this is the same guy who uh, was leaned back up on Jesus. He was there when they crucified. We got the same guy. He was the beloved disciple. If anybody uh, was close to Christ, it would have been him. 
But here, even the one who was closest to Christ upon the revelation of Jesus Christ falls down as though dead. Now, why would he fall down as though dead? Why would he fall down as though dead? It's because he knew of the sin that he had in his life. And he knew of the glory of God. It's the same reason when Moses asked God if he could see him, if he could see his glory, God said no. Why? Why did God say no? It was because he knew that if he showed Moses his glory, that Moses would die. Because wicked humanity cannot stand in the presence of God Almighty and make it. Many of you, many of us, think that Christ should have went to the cross. And you think that's just a little thing I know. And I don't really know how to... I don't really know how to show you the implications of that, but when we look at the atonement, the, the, the propitiation, the price that Christ paid on the cross and the reason that he went to cross, when we start to make this a man-centered theology and we, we say that, that well, God's, he's got he's to go after everybody the same and, and, and God, is, he's got to do this and he's got to do that and, and, the, and the atonement was, was, was for all of these because he's required to go after everybody just the same way. What is the foundation for that statement? It is because man is worthy and man deserves, and man should not be condemned. Man, should, you see these words? And so we've got this thought process in America that, or all over, it's just humanity's got this thought process that, that oh, he's good at heart. We cannot see the sinfulness of sin. It's been lost to us. And even those who say, well, they preach hellfire and brimstone. Do they really preach it? Do they preach that even your little bitty, uh, uh, your little thought that compromises just on the smallest little thing, do you understand that you should be burned alive forever because of it? You say, why is this guy so angry? (laughs) The greater you understand the wickedness and evilness of sin, the more you understand the power and the glory, and the goodness, and the mercy of God. When you approach God, now let's all, let's all get real for a minute. We would like to be like John. When you picture John, you don't picture John like doing all the stupid stuff that you do, right? But you picture this like saint. And I think he was probably pretty saintly. I think that he was probably walking upright before the Lord. I'm sure he had sin. Any man that says he doesn't have sin is a liar, okay? I'm sure he had sin. But this is the man who was reclined against Jesus at the table. And the ones that the other disciples looked at him and said, hey, ask him who it's going to be. That's how close he was. In all of his saintliness, in all of his holiness, in all of his sanctification, When he saw the Lord Jesus Christ, he fell as though dead. How do you approach the scriptures? 
How do you approach the scriptures? Do you come to the scriptures thinking that you will see a magnificent presentation of the king of kings that will break you into a million pieces? And you like it. You see, I hate to see my sin, but I love it when he shows it to me. Is that, is that stupid? Is that ridiculous? Because I can't do anything about it, and I can't lay it at the cross. I can't get it dealt with by him. I can't do anything with it unless I know it's there. That's why we got to have brothers, sisters in Christ. So <clears throat> John is, is absolutely acknowledging the sinfulness of sin when he falls down as though dead because he is in the presence of the Lord God Almighty, Jesus Christ, who in all of his perfection can have no sin before him. Now, some of you are like, you ain't got to convince me of that, preacher. I feel it. You see, some of us live on the side of the spectrum that we're always justifying our sin. Oh, I can come before Jesus because I ain't got no sin. My sin ain't that big. How many of you got sin that you can say, oh, just got me? How many of you got sin you label as not that bad of a sin? You know, I just got y'all. You're like, oh, well, this is just a little sin. You know you got it. Whatever you did on your taxes. Don't you go there, preacher. <laughs> that little white lie you told to your wife. Little white lie you told to your husband. Little white lie you told to yourself. I won't ever look at that again, liar. You know, when you, when you got cut off by that person in traffic and you cussed them up one side and down the other, but in your head. Or you just cussed them out with Christian cuss words. Son of a biscuit eater. Dang. <laughs> you getting your toes up? You joker, you. Oh, it's just a little sin. Now, this guy's getting too serious. This guy's getting too serious. We got some of us who kind of make light of our sin. But now we got others on the other side of the table who... who, who they, they, they cannot receive repentance. They can't receive uh, faith. They can't receive restoration. They can't receive forgiveness. They can't receive mercy because they feel their sin and want to live there. So John here sees the sin, but we see a good balance here. John here sees his sin because whenever you stand, see, Christ is a mirror. That's what he is. Christ is a mirror. And the closer you get to Christ, the better you see and the more clearly you see. Paul would say, right now we're seeing a mirror dimly, but then we will see fully and we will be fully known. So get ready for that, okay? We're all of, oh, you say, whoo. I got this idea that there's going to be this videotape of every sin you've ever done playing for all to see. Now, you got to wait, you got to wait for the whoo. You got to wait for that when Jesus said, I paid for that. There's when the whoo. That's what you was talking about, wasn't it? So I say amen. So, so John, feel he's just a mirror. When you stand before Christ, you say, oh, wow, and you fall down as though dead. But here's the other side of that. Some of us have fell down as though dead, but we won't get back up, even though he's reached out with his right hand and touched us. 
We live as though dead when we've been made alive. You see, so you got to recognize the sinfulness of sin so that you can be touched by Christ and your sin can be paid for and dealt with on the cross. And then we can stand up and say, now I can live. Now I can have purpose. Now I can have holiness, not of my own. I have no righteousness of my own, but it's the righteousness of Christ that dwells in me. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But that's a beautiful but in the Bible. Because he didn't stay falling down dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. I love the fact that he lays his right hand on him. <clears throat> the right hand was a sign of power and authority. It was a sign also of, of, of fellowship. <laughs> Should I do that? Okay. <clears throat> you know what the left hand was for? You know what the left hand was for? Yeah. You know, so, you know, if you, you know, I mean, they ain't, they, they ain't have quilted northern. <laughs> so if, you know, if they wasn't nothing around, you just got a little action with this hand, you, you wash that off. So if anybody ever offered you the left hand, you know, be like, <laughs> you know what they're saying. Oh, let's, let's leave that there. <laughs> so he lays his right hand on it, which is the right hand of fellowship. And I think, again, that's uh, why if you get slapped on the, on the cheek and you turn it, you slap the uh, cheek. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me. That's the hand of fellowship, the, the, the hand of power and authority, but fellowship as well. And it said what? He said, fear not. Why should we fear not? Fear not because I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. Now, <laughs> I don't believe that I am the first and the last and the living one that, that I died and behold, I live forevermore should be taken in one uh, phrase or one uh, thought, but it's two parallel ideas. When he says, <clears throat> uh, he laid his right hand on him, <clears throat> he said, uh, he laid his right hand on him and said, fear not, I am the first and the last. And I think that's an equative right there. And I'm the one who died. I'm the living one. I died and behold, I'm alive forevermore. When he says, I'm the first and the last of uh, many commentators, would say that this is kind of a echoing of uh, all that Yahweh has seen to be in the Old Testament. Many times he is uh, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. We've seen this already in Revelation chapter 1. So this is kind of equating him with the Ancient of Days. One of my favorite uh, uh, representations or names for Christ is the Ancient of Days. And so he's saying is that you can take heart that I am the creator of all things. I was there before they ever started, and I will be there after they're all done. Done, that I am the first and the last. You see, he can offer comfort in your brokenness because he's the one that made you in the first place. You see, we need to see that the scripture is not about us, but it's about him. Because if we make it about us, then we are stuck because we can't do anything about us. You go to Barnes and Noble, what's one of the biggest sections in the entire store? Amen. Stupidest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> Self-help. Okay, so I walk into Barnes & Noble, and I'm like, look, I screwed this up. Can you give me a book on how I can fix what I screwed up? But you're the one that made the mistake. You're the one that, you're the one that messed it all up. Yeah, I know, but I think I can fix it. And then we say, well, no, you'll probably make it worse by trying to fix it. 
If you make it all about you, then you're stuck in that moment because you cannot do anything to fix what you have broken. Only the one who made it in the first place can offer up the solution to fix what you have broken and to put it back like he made it to, the, to begin with and to give it back the honor that he intended it to have from the very beginning. So he says, he laid his right hand on me. That's the hand of fellowship, that power. He says, fear not, I am the first and the last. This is Christ being set apart as Yahweh, the ancient of days, the one who created the whole show. <laughs> but now, I think that, that is an, this and right here is an equative here. And it's, what it's doing is it is tying, I am the first and the last to the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Now, this is a, a three-part little phrase here that, that it, when it's put together, it shows Jesus Christ as the resurrected Savior for mankind. You say, what do you mean by that? <clears throat> It says, the first and the last, and the living one who died and who lives again. So this is Christ who was alive. He went into the grave, and now he's raised to live again. And we know from other scriptures that because of his death and resurrection, he has been exalted and given a name which is above every name. So when Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead, he set the seal on who he really was, and that is Yahweh, the Ancient of Days. And that's why this is an equative. He says, the, living, uh, the first and the last, the one who lived, died, and was raised again, him living dying and being raised again is the proof that he is the first and the last. Does that make sense? Now, let me show you something beautiful about this. Let's put all these things together because that's kind of, it moves into another little section right there. Well, no, let's, let's put this on there because it is with it. It says, I about forgot this. This is key. This is important. Keys, no pun intended. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. And I have the death of keys, uh, the keys of death and Hades. Now, the only one that is said to have the keys to death and Hades in the Old Testament is God Himself. God Himself. He is the one that has the keys of death and Hades. Here, Jesus Christ is absolutely equated with and given representation. He's given the full acknowledgement that He is God. This is a great place to take Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, um, those who uh, are of the Islamic faith, all of those. We can take them right here because none of those acknowledge Jesus Christ as being God. Some say he's a prophet. Some say he's created. Others this, other that. But here he says, he, I have the keys of death and Hades. Now, when we put this thought together, this is beautiful for me and for you. Because when we see, this shows us exactly what should happen when we come into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in a way where we can understand and see him and behold all of his glory. Even as believers. Even as believers. You see, even as believers, we feel the weight of our sin. And when we come before God, that's why if you've ever, if you've ever wondered 
when you, when you fall into temptation and you, when you fall into lust, have you, have, is anybody else with me that when you fall into lust, you fall into temptation, you fall into sin, whatever it might be, and you are a believer and you have confidence in your salvation, there's fruit on that tree. But when you fall into that sin, you feel as if you're unworthy. And, it, and if you're not careful, it will destroy your walk with God. You'll stop reading the word. You'll stop praying. You'll stop meditating on the scriptures. You'll stop going to the Lord. Even though you know he's the only way out. And you're wondering, why can't I not get back to where I was? Why can't I not get back to where I was? And you're trying to deal with your sin in in an erroneous way, in a way that you shouldn't be dealing with it because you can't deal with your sin. We have to be met by Christ. And so when we come before Christ, we should see our sin. We should feel the weight of our sin. And those who don't know Christ should be destroyed by their sin. Utterly destroyed. But those of us who know Christ, those those of us who have been born again by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are not like those without hope in the world. But we understand that though we are sinners, Christ died for us and that we have received the right hand of fellowship, that Christ has reached down and touched us and said, do not fear for I am the one who is the beginning of days. I am the ancient of days. I am the first and I am the last. And the reason that you can know that is, is that because I died, I was living, I died and I raised again. You see, what is it? When John was smashed all to pieces laying on the floor, when he was dashed against the rocks of sin, when he was dashed against, uh, against the, the ruins of life, and he saw that, even the beloved John saw whatever sin he had in his life, and he fell down as though dead, what did he need to pick him up? The gospel. The gospel. He needed the gospel. You see how many of you this morning, you're laying in the floor and your legs twisted this way and your arms twisted this way and your necks twisted. You just feel broken and dashed against the shores of life. You need the gospel. You need the gospel. You need to understand that, yes, you are a wicked sinner. Yes, you are horrible and, and deplorable. And then, yes, you have no righteousness. But... But Christ, in all of his glory, in all of his magnificence, in all of his wonder, came down out of heaven. He came down out of heaven. He took on the form of a man, even a servant. And though he was found sinless, he dealt with all of our temptation. But he walked through this life never giving in. You see, you give in, don't you? Me too. I wish I didn't. I hate my sin. But I don't hate it enough. But Christ, you see, he's a sympathetic high priest because I know what you're, I know what you're going through to some degree. I, I do. I, I mean, I've, I've walked in some of your foot, footsteps, but But I don't know like he knows. You see, the Bible says that he was tempted in every way like we are, but he did not sin. You see, Christ is the one who came down here. He lived that perfect life, and then he went to the cross. The perfect life, and then he went to the cross, and he experienced murderous wrath on the cross. 
All at the hands of God and men. But God was pleased to crush him. It was the plan the whole time. From day one, it was the plan. And he went into the grave, buried, just like John should have been. You know, when John fell down dead, they should have took a show and just started covering him up. And that's what you think about you, isn't it? Some of you are just in that place of despair. The wickedness, the sinfulness. You're just laying on the ground. You're just like, man, just get the show. You just want to be, you just want to get it over with. But Christ didn't stay dead. But he rose again. And you've looked in a million different places, I know. Even some of you believers, you know where you need to be. But you go elsewhere. Self-help, medication, playtime. So many men playing. So many men playing. Trying to escape the reality of their sinfulness. You think you're playing Xbox and PlayStation because it's fun? You're playing that because you're not a man. And neither am I in those times. We're playing it to escape. We're playing. How many of us just go around playing all day long? We just play all the time. Now, I'm not for not having fun. I like having fun. So I got married. Praise the Lord she's not in here. I like having fun. I like, I like to play video games sometimes. I like to go and race go-karts with my kids. I like to have that. But a lot of us just play all the time. Or we escape through sex addiction, pornography. We escape through gambling. We escape through work. We escape through whatever. Name a myriad of different things. But Jesus Christ says, I and the first and the last. I am the one that lived the life that you should have lived. I am the one that died the death that you should have died. And I am the one that was raised again. And I am the only one that can offer you resurrection life. Because Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. It was the gospel that, that picked John up. It was the gospel. And, and that's what John is saying here. <clears throat> when he says, I have the keys of death and Hades, he's saying, I am the one that raised. How do you think he got out? How do you think he got out? Because he had the key. He comes and goes as he pleases. He said, I lay my life down because I want to, and I'll pick it back up when I want to. He's got the keys. You don't have to experience that death. You don't, expect, you don't have to experience this, this Hades. You don't have to experience that because he resurrected, vindicated who he really was and says, see, I got the keys. Now, who, who, who among you are in bondage? Who among you are in bondage? You're under the wrath of God. You're not family members of God. And those of you who are part of the family of God, but you've went back to that like a dog returns to its vomit, y'all just need to get them off of there. You put them back on. You're not, that's not who you are. Your identity is in Christ. 
Just go stop doing that. Repent already and get back to the Lord Jesus Christ. But those of you who are in bondage and you have not been released yet by the King of Kings, the one who has the keys, then salvation can be yours today. If you would only confess the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and give your life to Him, He will take it and He will make you new. Amen? Amen? He goes on to say, Write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. I thought I'd get through it all, but I'm not going to today. I'll cover verses 19 and 20 next week. As we all stand to our feet this week, I want to ask in here, who in here has rejected the gospel? You've never received the gospel. You're still trying to buy your way out or fool your way out or justify your way out. Who in here needs the gospel for salvation? Who in here is already a believer and you're living as if you're not? And you're living as if you are under the condemnation of sin when Jesus Christ has already laid his right hand on you and said, fear not. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died and behold, I live again. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. You're not under that anymore. You're not under that anymore. So as we have this time of response, I want to offer... Uh, the front here to you and some, some prayer warriors down here that will pray over you, pray for you uh, to, to go to the Lord on your behalf. Maybe you've got some sin you need to confess in your life. Maybe you just got uh, some things that's been bothering you and you want to get off your chest with the Lord. You can do it sitting there. You can come here. It doesn't really matter. But I just want you to do business with God today. This mighty God, this mighty God who when we stand before Him, we fall to pieces but is the only one that can pick us back up again. Amen? Amen. Amen. Do business with the Lord.